Life can be painful. There's disappointment, hurts, discouragement, loss. People are looking for hope. And the truth is, you have something to offer. You carry with you the good news of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the hope of the world. The church is not a building. It is the body of Christ, a community of believers who are dedicated to gathering together, lifting one another up, glorifying God, and making a kingdom difference. So who do you need to invite to church? Who needs to experience God's goodness? Reach out to them, because hope is here. All right, good morning, everybody. Um, that's a, an ad for an upcoming series, so we're going to be doing Hope is Here uh, starting September the 19th. That is officially Back to Church Sunday, so if you've been out of church for a while, you definitely need to come on that day, um, but it's also an op- just an opportunity to invite your neighbors, invite friends. Um, it's a great place to come, and again, the whole series is going to be about hope, and so it's going to talk about especially where we've been as a nation, and as Karen was praying into that earlier We want to offer hope, and we know that the only hope, the only real hope we're going to find is in Jesus. Anybody who's found that knows there's an eternal hope that's inside of us that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And so there's a lot of people out there who don't have much hope. They may not be talking about it, but I promise you, I run into it all the time. So be praying for people. Be thinking about your neighbor, who that might be. Um, Connect with them. Invite them. You know, promise them take them to five guys or something, I don't know, do whatever you got to bribe them, I don't care, just get them in the building, and we're going <laughs> to, no, don't do that, we're going we're gonna to preach the gospel, and the gospel is good news, and that means there's hope, so definitely be praying into that, and uh, we'll be talking about it every single Sunday as we kind of gear up for it, and again, that's September 19th, hope is here, we're going to be jumping into that, um, right now, I'm going to be continuing, as Karen said, the series called Welcome to the Church, not just Welcome to Church. Uh, if you noticed in our little video, it said that the church is not a building, the church is a body. And so uh, we talked about that last week a little bit, the ecclesia or the called out ones, called out of the world in, into God, um, brought into a family, given a purpose, joining in a mission. One of my favorite <clears throat> scriptures in Psalms says that God places the lonely in families. God never meant for us to be by ourselves. No man is an island was a scripture before it was a quote, right? And so you want to, again, you want to understand the church. If you understand the church, you'll realize it's not the building. It's just the building. The building is just where the church gathers. And so when we say, well, you know, back to church Sunday, we're not talking about um, back to the building. We're talking about, even though that's what we start with, we're talking about back into the called out ones that God has. So I want a couple, before I jump in, I want to cover a couple of biblical concepts that relate to the church and kind of what I'm going to be talking about. Um, But before I do that, I want, this whole series, I want you to understand something that applies to more than just, you know, church government, church leadership, and how we operate as a body. I want you to understand the overriding principle is that God's thing, done God's way, gets God's best. And so I just want to remind you that over and over and over again, there are patterns, there, there are ways of God, and when he calls us into alignment, what he's doing is he's calling us into alignment, not because he's a killjoy, right? Not because he wants to take away our fun. He's calling us into alignment. Discipleship is, the root word is discipline. He's disciplining us into alignment because there's an inheritance that's available to us. And I've been doing this for a long, long time, and I'm just, I'm telling you, 
There are a lot of people who did not receive the inheritance that God intended for them here. They walked, many of them walked without peace in their heart, even though they were believers. They walked in poverty, even though the Lord said He was going to be our source and He was going to be our provider. I've watched this happen year after year after year, but it doesn't have to. Amen? God's thing done God's way gets God's result, and that's something I want you to understand. So I want to talk, first of all, about yokes and keys, okay? So Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I shared last week that the fact that we were, Karen and I lived in Europe for a while, and we got to see some incredible churches. We've traveled all over the United States. We've seen tons and tons of church buildings. But when I say church, I mean we've, ton- we've said, seen tons and tons of groups of people gathered out ones in local context, the church. And here's the thing that you need to understand about that. Every church has a yoke. Now, this passage is talking about the yoke that Jesus has is easy. The yoke of the world is hard. And so I've got a picture of a yoke I want to show you. And, it, and it's, it's always in two, right? You don't have a yoke for a single oxen. There's, it, it, that's not why the yoke exists. The yoke exists so that you can, you can pull in unison, right? Turns out that, you know, this is kind of a misrepresentation of the kingdom because Jesus said his yoke is easy. So his yoke is really, really on his side is big, and ours is really, really small on our side. Still a yoke. We still have to be connected to him. But the yoke is easy and his burden is light, and that's helpful to remember. But understand this. In the local church context, this same, this same concept is true. You will be yoked to something or someone. You will be. If you decide not to go to church, you've yoked yourself in, in the world. If you decide not to be part of the called out ones and the gathered ones, if you, if you decide that, then you have yoked yourself to something entirely different. Now, here's the thing. You can yoke yourself to a local body, a local group of gathered ones, and they can be dysfunctional, hurt, broken, and busted in a hundred different ways, right? So just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a mature one, right? Anybody ever, ever seen a baby and you're like, the baby's just pooping in his pants and, you know, it's just, it's just like, anybody seen this? Like, that's really challenging, right? It's even more challenging when they're 16 years old, right? You see a 16-year-old doing that, you're like, hey, there's probably something medically wrong with them. You need to get that looked at. Too often what's happened is we've called maturity in the, in the local church time spent, <laughs> right? right? Rather than maturity that's been, that's been grown into. So everyone has, is, is under some kind of yoke. The key is you want that yoke that you're going to be connected to to be biblical. And I'm going to talk about how you connect yourself here in just a second. But it's helpful to understand that everybody, every local church, thinks they're biblical. <laughs> right? Many, many Christians think they're mature when they're absolutely not mature at all. And so it's helpful to understand that you want the yoke that you're connected to. You want the local church. You want the church that you're a part of, the leadership, the ministries that come out of that church. You want that to be biblical. It's incredibly important. You ever notice, uh, most of you guys won't remember this because you're young, but in the yellow pages, anybody remember the yellow pages? <laughs> that was my booster seat so I could sit up at the table, right? It, 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 it was uh, multifaceted. Anyway, you never see this advertisement in the, in, in the churches, right? Come be a part of a tyr- tyrannical, legalistic, heavy-handed, dysfunctional family. We've got coffee, right? You never see that, right? <laughs> Well, the last part, you usually do, right? We have to offer coffee. But, but that's the whole challenge is 
what you, you know, you're coming into something, especially if you get saved into it, you're coming into something, and what you come into is really important. So I'm going to get to that in just a second. So I talked about yokes. Now I want to talk about keys. Matthew 16, 19 says this. I will give you the keys. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Now here are the first part of it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So let me just say this real quick. I've been around a lot of super spiritual Christians who bind and loose everything that, you know, comes near them, right? There's a demon in every teacup, and they're binding and loosing. You know, I remember one person stood up and said, uh, I just bind the devil from any more activity in the entire world ever again. <laughs> so you can imagine my theological kind of mindset just went, uh, went crazy. I'm like, um, I, I want to talk to you about that because that's not biblical, Right? You don't get to bind the devil for everything he's going to do. And here's what's helpful to understand. There is a purpose, even in what's broken now. The Bible says that even the enemy who, makes, who tries to make it work for himself, God says, I'm going to take that. And for those who are called according to my purpose, it's the called out ones, right? Those who are coming into alignment, I'm going to make it work for good. I'm going to do that. And the other thing to remember is this is not all there is. There's an eternity that's going to last forever, right? This is a blip on the radar compared to what it's all going to be one day. But binding and loosing is really interesting because the Bible says that Jesus said he's going to give you the keys to the kingdom. You. Many of us, what we do is we stand at the door that's not opening and we say, Jesus, would you pretty please open the door? And Jesus is saying, but I gave you the key. (laughs) Why don't you use the key? that I gave you, right? Why don't you use the authority? Why don't you step into what I've called you to? So don't overstep your boundaries, like the original example I was just given a minute ago, but do step into the healthy boundaries that God has given us. So what does binding and loosing mean? To restrict, confine, limit. In a legal sense, it means to forbid something. You, you don't get to come in here. You can't. You, you have to stop that. It's, it, it, a governor, it's interesting because the, the word government, we're going to talk about this, but, but a governor on a, on a vehicle limits the speed, right? It limits what it can do. It limits the RPM, so you can't go faster than, than what it was designed to go. But at the, the flip side of that, on the loosing, it says, it, it says to unbind, to untie, to free, or to release. And in a legal sense, it means to permit something. So imagine, um, you, see, you saw this, this concept in, in, the, um, in the cities around uh, uh, during Bible days. So there would be gates. There would be walled cities and there would be gates. You still see this today in Jerusalem. You can see it. And there are gates there. And, when the, and the Bible says that the elders of the city, the government of the city, would sit at the gates. And they would bind and they would loose at the gates. They did all their government business at the gates. And so what they would do is something would come in, whether it was commerce or whether it was an idea or something they wanted to build, and they would present it to the government of, of the city, and the government of the city would say, yes, you can come in, and we receive that, we, we engage with that, we endorse that, so come into the city and do whatever you want. Or if they came with something that was going to be destructive for the city, it was the responsibility of the government, the responsibility of the leaders to bind that and say, you don't get to bring that here, Right? That's the authority you have. Now, here's what's really interesting. As, as individual dis- disciples, as individual people, we have that ability to bind and loose what comes into us and what goes out of us, right? When I was younger in school, you know, I have a very interesting last name, Hale, right? <laughs> there was a time I actually had a, invited a friend of mine, a pastor, to come pre- the, preach at the church, and his last name was Payne. So when I introduced him, I was like, man, I don't know what you guys did 
this morning, but you got two pastors up, up, up here, and one of them's hell and one of them's pain, so you're about to get some interesting, <laughs> some interesting words, and both of us were just, our hearts and our passion was to do well, so it didn't match our last names. But people would say things to me and call me names, and, and I had to learn as a young man, just because you say something to me and try to give me an identity doesn't mean I have to receive it, right? So wear glasses like, hey, four eyes. I'm like, first of all, <laughs> that's not literally true. It's just a lens on the, but they didn't care about that. I mean, bullies don't know science, right? So the whole thing is you have to decide, okay, who's the mature one in this, in this congregation, right? So how we respond to something shouldn't be a reaction because of our emotion and all the things. This is just common sense about maturity as we grow, right? And, and you know this with kids, the more maturity your kid develops, the more he receives, the more he begins to take responsibility, the more that you can give them, right? And so you have to, you have to be careful and understand that all of us have the ability to bind and loosen our own lives, and then as we take on respective places of leadership, whether that's a father or a mother, whether that's a coach, a teacher, a pastor, any kind of leader in business, politician in our city, whatever it might be, now we take on another responsibility, not just for ourselves, but to bring our maturity level up in our own identity so that now we can be useful to bind and loose for the sake of others, right? And so Paul, he, he told one uh, group of people, I think it was the Corinthians, he said, I've been given the power to build you up, the authority to build you up, but never tear you down, right? So authority is given with responsibility, and responsibility is given, but it can on, responsibility can only be given when authority is there to make it happen. That's what it's there for, right? So here's the, here's the other concept that kind of comes out of these two. What you get saved into is more important than what you were saved out of. Right? Some of you guys have testimonies. You know, you're drug addicts or drug dealers. I don't know. <laughs> Some of you guys are messed up. Um, I look good on the outside. I, mean, I fit in society. Some of you guys didn't even do that. So we're all of us, every single one of us are broken to some degree, some worse than others, obviously, right? So the testimonies, almost always, I remember when I first started going to church, man, the testimonies of, you know, the guys who were part of the, um, you know, the uh, <laughs> gangs or whatever, those, those guys come in and go, you know, I was killing people, I was beating people up, I was, you know, and then Jesus saved me and I quit doing that. I was like, you should have just never done that in the first place. Like, that's right, it's, that's not acceptable even in society. But every one of us have been saved out of something. But what most of us don't realize, and I didn't realize this, is what we get saved into matters. Because not every church, local church, is the same. But I didn't know that. I just assumed, you know, it's the body of Christ. It must be fine. <laughs> and then I read and I saw, and it turns out that wasn't true at all. And there was a lot that we had to learn and a lot I had to, to make some decisions about in the way the local church that I was a part of was moving forward in what they called, you know, government or ministry or whatever. And so it's important. Now, here's Timothy. This is 1 Timothy 3, 14, 15. Because this, this is... There's so many passages of Scripture where, where Paul or someone will say something, it seems like it's in passing, but that little note, that little moment in there is incredibly important, and this is a Scripture that's like that. He says, although I hope to come to you soon, this is Paul talking, I although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions. I'm giving you a pattern. I'm telling you this is the right way. Don't do this. Do this, right? I'm writing you instructions so that if I'm delayed, 
you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. So he's telling Timothy, who was a pastor, turns out he was an apostle as well. He went in and appointed elders in local churches. And he's saying, there's a household of faith. We call that something, in this house, this household of faith. In this house, there, there are certain bindings and loosings. What we do as a leadership team, what we allow, what we disallow, what we celebrate from the front, what we don't allow people to talk about at the front. All those kind of things matter. What we build into people, what we encourage, what we try to discourage, what we honor, what we dishonor, it all matters. So it goes on, it says, if I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the called out ones, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So that's Paul saying. Another place he says, follow me as I follow Christ. What he was saying is, I have developed some maturity in walking in the ways of God, and until you learn how to do that, follow me because I'm following Jesus. But how many of you guys know that just because someone says, follow me, doesn't mean they're following Jesus necessarily, right? And it's usually not super obvious, like I said before. It's not like they put an ad in the paper, <laughs> right? It said, uh, we're gathering for a big, big table of Kool-Aid. Who wants to come? And you're like, oh, I don't think I want any Kool-Aid from a church, right? Maybe in kids' church. But you don't want to do that. But it, it's super subtle. And that's what I'm trying to get at is if you don't know that, you will, you, will buy, you will lose yourself into the midst of a place where maybe you should push back and go, I don't, I don't understand why we're doing that. Can we talk about that? It doesn't have to be a big deal. You don't have to do it publicly. I love it when people come and say, how come we do this at DCF? Because probably we've thought that through, but not always, right? And sometimes we're just doing something because it was the default setting when we started it. And that's the whole, the whole saying that's in the church all the time is, we've always done it this way. Well, maybe that's good, right? Because Jesus established that, and it's a good pattern. But maybe Jesus didn't teach that, and it was picked up along, somewhere along the way in tradition or culture, and it has nothing to do with who Jesus is and what he's called us to. Helpful to understand that. The pillar and the foundation of the truth. So what you step into can free you and release you it can protect you while you're young and while you're vulnerable. It can equip you for your ministry and launch you into God's call for your life. Or it can disillusion you. It can damage your family. It can restrict, confine, and limit, and sometimes delay your purpose in God indefinitely. Now, this is the tough one because God's sovereign. Everybody knows God's sovereign. But God has also given responsibility to other people, right? He said to us, I'm giving you the keys. Stop asking me for the keys. I'm giving them to you. Learning how to use keys, that's part of discipleship. Learning the character and the, character and the um, capacity of Jesus. That's what we're all after, right? We're supposed to look like him. But oftentimes we don't, and the church turns into this broken, messed up place, Right? And people come into it, and they're like, I know Jesus is here, but I'm not seeing fruit sometimes, right? So Jesus is longing. It's longing. He's longing for a mature church. We'll walk with the authority that he's given us to bind and loose, to walk in power, to be the called out ones. So I want to talk to you about a pattern. So patterns are very interesting in the Bible. You see this all the time, right? God's thing done God's way gets God's best, right? So whatever that looks like, whether that's parenting, 
whether that's marriage, whether that's running a business, it matters. So I'll read you Romans 12 too. We've all heard this. Do not conform to the pattern of the world. In other words, there are patterns of the world, and Paul's saying, hey, you used to live this way. And he said this in many, many letters. You used to live this way. There's a new way of living now that you have Jesus inside your heart. Here's what's fascinating. In one passage, he said, he said this. Those of you who stole, steal no more. You would think, in a discipleship class, you wouldn't have to bring that up, would you? But apparently the patterns can get so ingrained in us that even though we have a new nature and a new heart, we can be wrapped up in patterns in our life, and it can be emotional brokenness, it could be fear, it could be abandonment, it could be a hundred different things, and we can get caught up in that to the point where those patterns conform us to the world rather than what Jesus meant for us to have. He says, don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed. Let the supernatural God change you supernaturally by the renewing of your mind. In other words, you've got to think. You've got to process with the mind that God's is still supernatural, but he's going to bring you, the Bible says he's, gonna, he's already given you the mind of Christ, but you have to align yourself with it, right? And so it goes on, it says, if you do this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let me read this in the easy-to-read version because it's helped bring, it helps bring it out. It says, don't change yourselves to be like the people of this world, but let God change you inside with a new way of thinking. Then you will be able to understand and accept what God wants for you. You will be able to know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. 1 Peter 1.14 uses that same word about conforming, about the pattern. In this way, it says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Another version says, Do not conform to the patterns you had when you lived in ignorance. So that means this. That means there are a lot of people, as you're growing, and all of us have done this, but there are people that if you grow up in Christ, right, and, and you're, in, you're, you're, you're learning something. Someone's teaching you, so this is the way of Jesus, right? And something inside you doesn't set right. There's something in your spirit that says, I don't know about that, actually. Something's wrong with this. You need to explore it. Even if it does set right with you, you still need to explore it. You need to know why you believe what you believe. So let me just, I've shared this before, but just for, this, for the sake of this, this series. Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give, you my, uh, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways, his patterns. Genesis 6, so make yourself an ark. This is obviously talking about Noah. Of cypress wood, make rooms in it, coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. And then it goes into very, very specific ways. Why? Because there's a storm coming, and if you don't build it the way God intended you build it, your boat will sink. <laughs> right? It's incredibly important. It's Exodus 25. Then have them make a sanctuary for me. Eleven times God told Moses how to, build, how to do exactly what he told him to do. He said, uh, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Why? Because it mattered. That, that tabernacle here is a picture of the tabernacle in heaven, right? No, not many people talk about this, but the Bible says that in Hebrews, Jesus went to that tabernacle, that place in, hev in heaven, and he sprinkled perfect blood, the perfect 
blood of a perfect offering on the tabernacle, on the holy, in the Holy of Holies, in the, on the mercy seat, in the tabernacle that's in heaven. Not the one that was symbolized on the earth with the blood of goats and bulls that was thrown on that piece of gold, right? That symbolized something more. And this is what we're talking about. Psalm 81 says, but my people would not heed my voice. Listen, this is, it, it, as a disciple, this is one of the most important scriptures you'll ever hear. But my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart, to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. So often, so often, I I come across Christians who are illiterate in the Bible. Been saved for 10 years. And you, you can, you, just talking to them, you, you, you hear the counsel of their heart is not formed from Scripture. It's formed from whatever wind is blowing at the time. I was just like that. I remember as a young pastor, like, i got to grow the church. I, I had all these understandings. I read all these books about what we're supposed to do. And we got to build the church, and we got to build the church. Remember last week I talked about that, and I realized Jesus was going to build his church. My job was to make disciples. I got off kilter and off focus, and I'm trying to build a church and trying to build a church, and I'm failing left and right. But in the process of this, this is what's so confusing. In the process of this, in the container that I built for him to dwell, right, talking about the local church, in that container, the Holy Spirit did as much as I would allow him to do. So when you pray for somebody, pray for them according to their faith. Unless you have greater faith, then pray according to your faith. The Bible talks about agreement when you pray. Why? Because some people say when, when you go to pray for hey, can I pray for you for this sickness that you have or this surgery that's coming up? Can I pray for you for that? And they'll, they'll say, you can tell where they came from, a cessationist background, without the supernatural, because they said, pray for God to guide the surgeon's hand, right? Surgeon's hands. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, I don't want a shaky surgeon, right? And you don't either. <laughs> but what would be better? This, this, I just saw this the other day because this, I'm telling you, this is so important. Just the other day, I watched this this very well-known pastor who recently was given a diagnosis diagnosis that eventually is terminal. It, he, he's got a t- he's got some time, but it's eventually going to be terminal. And they're doing an interview, and they're asking him, and it's really kind of tugging at your heartstrings. This is a good pastor served the kingdom of God for years and years and years. And th- they said, "How did you handle that? You know that announcement, that diagnosis." He said, well, obviously, I was really taken aback. And he said, and I went home, and I sat in my study, and I prayed. And he said, I felt like the Lord said this. And then he shared something about how to make the best and the most of the remainder of his, of his time. And my question, I could not help myself, but my question was, if you believe that God can supernaturally talk to you, how much different is it for him to supernaturally heal you? Because let's be honest, once you cross the barrier of supernatural, not a little or a lot makes any difference whatsoever, right? You're out of the box now, (laughs) right? This happens to me all the time. I I find myself struggling with praying for healing. Why? Because I get disappointed all the time because I pray for people and they're not healed. I pray for myself and I'm not healed. 
So then what do we do? Do we, we, we allow the circumstances? This is true of the church too. Do we allow the circumstances to define what God is like or do we let God define what the circumstances should be like? Right? But we get disappointed and we get hurt. Why is that important? Because if you gather around a people who've been hurt and disappointed and disillusioned enough, there will be no faith in the building. There will only be unbelief. There will be enough to get you saved, right? But not enough to make you victorious. And God never meant for us to be the tail. He said that to the, to, to the Israelites, and he meant it for all of us as the church. He meant for you to be the head, not the tail. That's not for arrogance sake. It's because you, the, the whole nation of Israel was designed to be the container of blessing of, of the holy one true God to the whole world. Now they screwed that up just like you and I have screwed up the church, <laughs> right? So nobody gets off free. But what we should do is come back and go, let's take another look and say, God, what are your ways? I don't want, I don't want to do my ways anymore. My ways are not working. I want to do it your way. So what's your way for marriage, right? He has a certain thing. That's why some of the challenges we feel and push back against traditional marriage, it's got nothing to do. We don't care about people's freedom. Well, be free, man. God, Jesus said it's for freedom that he gave us freedom, right? It's for freedom's sake. Now, you can be so free that you're no longer free, right? Y'all understand the concept. But my point is, is there's a reason why God said do what I'm asking you to do. I'm, I'm commanding you this. I'm giving you a picture of it because this is what's powerful. This is what's helpful. Now, here's the thing. In the Old Covenant, he laid out a standard that none of us could fulfill. And it was designed to show us that none of us could fulfill it. That's purposeful in the, in the Old Covenant. Why? So that you would look for another source to make you perfect. <laughs> Because you try, 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 realize I can't do it on my strength, and then you invite a supernatural influence into your life, right? That's what Jesus is. He comes and he changes your nature, changes your heart, and he says, all this perfection, I'm giving it to you for free. I'm giving you my righteousness. Now that's yours. That's yours now to grow up in. What would it be like if we as the church taught grace from the get-go so that when people were getting free of the patterns of their old life, whether it's language or habits or relationship challenges or brokenness, whatever it be, what would it look like if our heart was, listen, you might be a bad son, maybe you're a good son, but you can't not be a son. That's just how it is. So let's talk about your identity. Let's talk about some discipleship. Let's talk about some knothead stuff that you're still doing that you have to decide to quit doing, right? Because <laughs> Jesus has given you the keys to your kingdom. And that's true of you individually, and it's true of us as a church. So Paul talked about that. How you build is so, so important. So I'm almost done. Southern Baptist Church in 1997, I think it was, at Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary, there was a man by the name of Waylon L. Payne. <laughs> so Waylon wrote a doctoral dissertation, um, and it was called The Role of the New Testament Deacon. And so this is what he said. He said, the roles have been reversed in the Baptist church. The deacons are doing elder stuff, and the elders are not doing anything. <laughs> I'm, it's a really long, I'm summarizing. But this is what he said. Deacons are not elders or overseers. When they attempt to perform as such, administrating church business, they are functionally violating New Testament principle and practice. 
because of that, there was a movement in that denomination that went in and said, why is that happening? And they found out they were launching people into these local churches from seminary that were ambitious and that were selfish. <laughs> Not all of them. So what they would do is they had a career to think about. They'd say, come into these small churches. They would start a building program. They would get them in a bunch of debt. And then someone, you know, someone would see their success from another bigger church and they would call them up to the big leagues, right? And they would leave that church to go there. Guess who had to pick up the pieces every single time? The deacons. So the deacons, because God designed deacons to hold unity in the church, saw an elder come in who was trying to take unity away and they said, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, you don't get to do that. And that's where we get the term demon board instead of deacon board. If you've been in the Baptist church, you know what I'm talking about. They didn't turn out that way. That's not what they intended to do. But for protection's sake, they started, they started recognizing if he's not going to function that way, we will. Only they weren't called to do it. And so it threw the church into disarray, and it broke a whole lot of people. So there is a plan, and it's a supernatural plan. Listen to this. This is Ephesians 3.10, supernatural plan for the church. His intent was now... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Verse 11 says, according to his eternal purpose. In other words, there's a way to do this. His eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ, um, our Lord, to Him, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. James says it this way. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor... Bitter envy and selfish ambition. Now listen to me. James is talking to the church. He's not talking to lost and broken people. He's saying if you will get your stuff in order, <laughs> right, what, what God designed for the church to be will begin to rise up. Karen said it this morning in prayer. The sons of God, when the sons of God arise, this is what it's talking about, becoming who we're supposed to be. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, in quotes, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, he's talking to the church. That, when I understood that, it blew my mind. He says, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Why? Because that's a fleshly, worldly, natural wisdom. And God says there has to be a supernatural wisdom that comes. That can come to you individually for your own life and your own identity. It can come to you as a leader of your family and what that looks like, how you lead your family, a business, ministry, whatever. So what did God do? 1 Timothy 3.14. Again, I hope to come to you soon. I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. It's not just about right and wrong. It's about a supernatural ministry that God gave. So what does that look like? So God gave servants to the church. So the Bible talks about elders. Ephesians 4 talks about this. Um, Acts 25 talks about There's a bunch of places. Most people think it's not very clear what, how you're supposed to lead the church. It is very clear how you're supposed to lead the church. Just read the Bible. That's all you got to do. It's very, very, very clear. I literally connected with a guy at one point. He was a pastor of a large church. 
And he, and he said, so how are you guys going to, you know, taking over a new church? How are you guys going to lead your church and do government? I said, well, I'm, we're going to do our best to be as biblical as we possibly can. He said, well, you know, the Bible's not real clear on that. And I said, well, it is. And why don't you know that? And I was, and oh, he was mad. Let me just tell you, he was, for a long time, he was mad. But part of that was, as a fellow elder, I'm like, you do your people a disservice if you don't know this. Right? Because God's called you to be an attendant to his bride. Right? That you're called to serve his bride. That's not your bride. It's his. And he's careful what he does with that. So let me just give you the picture. Ephesians 4, Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. And listen to this. To the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. That means that some churches that have not chosen to lead their church, the local body, biblically, can be selfish, ambitious, full of envy, which creates an an earthly, demonic, oftentimes, scenario in the local church. It's horrible to think about. But he says, you can become mature, right? So God sets in the church these people to equip. So what does that look like practically? Practically, you see, um, you see this in the New Testament, Jerusalem, you see Antioch, you see all, Ephesus, you see these churches that are being written to, right? Not places or buildings, but people. And what you see is you see elders who govern that church. And it's always a plurality of elders. There's always multiple. It's never one. Because one guy trying to lead a church is a bad idea, right? So it's multiple elders, plurality of elders. And you have deacons who come alongside and serve practically and, and bring connection and unity into the body of Christ. And then, and then from that, that's a local church. And from those local churches, often some of those guys travel in ministry and go outside to other churches. We're going to see that happen when Tyler comes next, next Sunday. He's a local elder in his church, but when he comes here, he steps into a new role, and he comes submitted to us as an eldership team and a leadership team, and he says, this is what I feel like God is saying to you guys. This is what I feel like the Lord is doing at, at, at DCF, and then we as an eldership team have to make a decision. Do we bind that or do we loose it, <laughs> right? And so you see this, that a fellow elder is coming here. I know Tyler. I've known Tyler since he was a teenager. His capacity astounds me and continues to grow, right? So he has something to offer. I, you know, we start at, hey, let's do Tyler a favor and bring him down. To the, it's not why I'm bringing Tyler here. It's not why we ask him to come. He has, he has a deposit to bring us as a church. And we have to make a decision that we'll teach into and build into that. As he leaves, we'll grab hold of that and build into that for months, sometimes even years. So what does that look like? That looks like hearing the voice of God because it's got to align with God's ways and how he does it. And doing this is super helpful because if we do this well, we become mature. So God is going to co-labor with what we create. The container that you can, whatever marriage that you have, that's the container that God has to work in. Why? Because he gave you the keys to your marriage. Jesus saved my marriage. Jesus helped my marriage. No, no. Husband, you help your marriage. Right? Wife, you help your marriage. You do what is necessary. We don't have time to, to talk. You have time. Do it. <laughs> right? We, we say to our elders when they come on board, you get to say, I don't know one time, and then you need to learn. We need to go find somebody to help us. If we don't know it, we need to know it. Right? So let me wrap it up with this. 
whatever container, like I said, that we have created, he will pour his new wine into it. So as a church structure, whatever container we have, God will work with our midst. So what does that look like? If we bind the supernatural, if we are cessationists, we grew up with tradition that said God, God no longer moves in power, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are really, they're just not for today, and so that was just to establish the church. I, I understand all that, except for it's just not true. Right? So s- stop saying it and grow up and become mature. Now listen, I know some people who, in character, their maturity is off the charts. But in giftedness, they're a baby. And that ought not be so. We should be growing in our giftedness and in our character. So what does that look like? This is 1 Corinthians 3.10. According to God's grace that was given to me, I've laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it. But listen to what he said. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. Why? Because it matters. So let me just finish with this. Jesus gave instructions to his bride to you guys about how this relationship with elders and deacons is supposed to work and with Tyler and, you know, uh, when translocal guys come in from other churches, he gave you some ideas and some instructions. Let me just give this to you. I'll give scripture references. I won't read them. You can go look them up if you want to. Jesus' instructions to his bride were this. Respect them as skilled servants. Respect leaders. He said, don't bring an accusation against an elder unless there's two people. Don't hear one. Don't listen to an accusation against an elder. Why? Because of the way the enemy wants to take them out. Somebody comes to you and says, you know what, I think Dave's, I think Dave's pulling money out of, the, out of the offering. You say, you know what, if you knew how we have set our finance team up, you would, you would laugh at that because it's impossible for him to do it. But if you don't know that and you don't know my character, you just go, oh, you know, most pastors are kind of greedy. That is true. Where do you get that information, right? Lovingly hold them in high regard. Honor and respect what is honorable and respectable. Obey them and submit to their authority. Now, here's why that's important, that you bind and you loose what I'm saying to you. If you feel this is something that God is bringing you, it's my desire to equip you for the work of the ministry he has for you. But if you don't loose that in your life, which means to do something with it, the word of the Lord has come to you through a message that one of us has preached or someone shared or discipled you into, you have to loose it, which means you have to do something about what you heard. Pay them honorably. I'm going to leave that one right there. And imitate their faith. Watch their life. Look at mine and Karen's marriage. I promise you our marriage is not perfect. I promise you. And it's mostly because of me. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's mature. And we've been doing it for 30 years, and we actually still like each other. Like she's literally my best friend. I love that. That's the way it ought to be, I think. Imitate their faith. Pray for them. God help Dave. He seems a little confused in this message this morning. <laughs> Give him clarity. Whatever, right? And then Jesus' instructions to the attendants of his bride. These are instructions to me, to our eldership team. Equip her. I just read that. My job is to equip. That, listen, that means I'm going to say some stuff. Sometimes you're not going to like me for it, and I'm still going to say it. And you can love me or not, get mad at me, ghost me for four weeks or six months, whatever you do. That's fine. That's up to you, but I'm still going to say it. I'm going to try to say it without my own, you know, trying to offend you. I'm, it, I'll let the word of God offend you. That's enough. Build her up. Remember I said it can't tear you down. If, if you find an elder tearing something down, he's broken inside, and he's a shepherd in need of help, okay? But, and it happens all the time. Protect her. 
Jesus said to protect you. That means when I see you headed toward a bridge, I'm going to grab a coffee with you, and over the course of about 20 or 30 minutes, I'm going to tell you what the bridge is. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you every indication, and then finally I'm just going to say, please don't drive over that bridge. It's broken, and you're going to crash. And then you get to decide what you want to do that with that. Be examples for her. I remember when I was appointed the, elder, the lead elder here, Greg stood up here and did that, translocal responsibility, and he said, Imitate Dave and Karen. I was like, ooh, <laughs> I, better, I better shape up, right? <laughs> Serve her. And then lastly, you see this one as a symbol in, uh, symbolism in marriage in general. Lay your life down for her. See, that's why that whole concept with, with, the, uh, with the deacons, and that's not just the Baptist church. Almost every church has screwed this up, I promise you, including the ones that I led for 15 years because I did not know what I was doing and I wasn't doing it biblical. At some point I said, God, at all costs, at all costs, because I love your bride. I do. They've hurt me. You know, if you've ever been sheep bit, I mean, one sheep biting you is, is one thing. But when a bunch of them start biting on you, it feels like you're in the walking dead. You know what I'm talking about? And they're just, <laughs> and I've had to recover from some hurt. I have. And I'll bet you have too, and some of you still need to. There's this awesome example of this in Jurassic Park. I still remember it. Where the, Sorry, Alan, but the lawyer <laughs> doesn't help the two little kids, right? And then he gets whatever, everybody cheered. when the, I, I don't know why that is, Alan, but it's, it's wrong. But when the lawyer got eight, you know, everybody cheered. But then the kids go climb down this and they get in this little, this little, you know, tube. And the guy who's with them comes down there and he's looking out for them. And the little girl's freaking out. And all she could say was, he left us, he left us, he left us. And the guy shakes her and he says, but that's not what I'm going to do. And he proceeds to shepherd those two kids and get them out of trouble. This is what God has built. This is what God wants to build. We're going to talk after Tyler comes, we're going to talk a little bit about the body that you, the body has a head, right? That's Jesus. And he's given some instructions. He's given ways on how we should do all of this. We should align ourselves with it because from it comes the inheritance that he so lovingly and longingly wants to give us. Amen? Do God's thing, God's way, and you'll get his best. Would you stand with me? Jesus, we just say thank you, Lord. Lord, that you have designed something so amazing in the church. God, we've been ridiculed and um, disparaged, Lord, many, many times in the media. Some of that, obviously, Lord, is just the enemy wanting to take away the, the validity of the church. But oftentimes, Lord, if I'm honest, we've done it to ourselves. Um, and so, Lord, we want to stop that. We can't help when the enemy attacks. When he does, Lord, we rise up against him in the power of your spirit understanding the authority that you've given us, and we take that on, Lord, because you made us that way. You made us warriors to do that. We don't do it in our own strength. We do it in yours, but you've given us the keys to the kingdom, and we want to use them appropriately. Lord, help us understand the box, the way, the, the, the design that you've given us as a family, as a church family, but as a husband and a wife, as a marriage, how I parent my kids, all those things. Because, Lord, if we do it that way, if we do it the way you've called us to, Lord, we become a witness to a very broken and hopeless world. And so, Lord, that's my prayer. 
that families of family on mission, Lord, that we're supposed to be a bunch of families in a family on mission as a church. But in our neighborhoods, Lord, in the places where we have influence, Lord, as we mature and as we grow, as we become the pillar, Lord, because we're part of the church, we become the pillar of truth, Lord. People will look to us, Lord, and we don't share our our own wisdom, but we share the wisdom from above that you came and you want to take all of our sin away and give us all of your righteousness, Lord, and you want to be with us. Lord, you don't want us to learn about you. You want us to walk with you. Lord, teach us your ways. Cause our hearts to desire to get back into the Word and understanding and and having conversations around it so that we can be the church that you called us to be in this dark time. And it's in your name that we pray. We're so glad you guys are here. We have a ministry team. We'd love to pray for you. Um, If you're online looking at us, uh, just go to the website there and write up what's going on in your heart. We'd love to pray for you. Karen, you want to come up? We're just going to have our ministry team here. We love you guys. If you need prayer, come up. If not, have a wonderful weekend.